As a business that happens to be a law firm, we're all about service and attention to detail. Our clients deserve efficient and well-informed legal counsel. That's why we're sitting down to discuss pressing legal topics with subject matter experts and industry leaders. Because at Daryl Everett, we put the DE in dealmakers. Hello, and welcome to DE Dealmakers, a podcast by Darrow Everett, a full-service business law firm with offices in seven states. I am your host, Emmanuel Subar Litvinov, a South Florida-based attorney in DE's Corporate Transactions Department. Joining us today is Paul Farrago, founder of Ace Marks, a renowned, high-quality, handcrafted Italian dress shoe company. Ace Marks was founded in 2012 with the goal of providing men quality shoes through a direct-to-consumer model. Paul also recently acquired a D2C apparel company. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So can you start us off and tell us a little bit about your journey? You know, the company has sold in more than 80 countries, has become the world's most funded footwear project through Kickstarter, and you've leveraged direct-to-consumer sales strategy to disrupt one of the most established industries. Wow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we we uh, I've been in the shoe business for quite some time. And about 10 years ago, 2012, is when I decided that I wanted to get most more into the men's shoe business, particularly in direct to consumer. Frankly, it took another five years before I actually acted on it. Uh, so it wasn't until maybe 2015, uh, more or less that actually about three years, sorry about that. Was it about 2015 that we actually started taking some steps, some steps toward launching, uh, what would eventually become Ace Marks. Uh, and the process was, was a uh, pretty interesting, actually, even though I had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of experience in footwear, uh, I had no experience really in selling any, in selling anything online. So e-commerce, uh, had some experience selling on eBay on Amazon, but nothing really in terms of direct to consumer the way we know today selling on my own website. So I had come up with uh, this beautiful collection of shoes. I decided that I wanted to sell it on my own website. I didn't really know how to do it. Uh, I started hearing about Kickstarter and some people having success on Kickstarter. And I started studying it, frankly, we postponed the launch of the of the brand until, you know, we're ready to go actually in February of 2015, decided we we're going to launch a Kickstarter campaign, scrapped everything. We spent a year studying Kickstarter, understanding uh, what it is uh, that moves well on there, what a video needs to sound and look like on there and did the best that we could and launched in February, March of 2016. And frankly, we ended up doing pretty well. And there's, there's a lot behind that, obviously, but we can get into that uh, as we talk. Yeah, so so talk us through that. What was the Kickstarter process like? I mean, you really disrupted this industry. And are you still using Kickstarter on, as your mode to consumers? So the Kickstarter process was a huge learning process. Uh, we frankly didn't know what we were doing uh, when we started. Uh, we just thought we put up a Kickstarter campaign. We understood that we had to do a little bit of marketing behind that. Uh, we had prepped some, prepped some things, but we maybe had 24, 40 hours worth of marketing and, and preparation done when we launched. And the rest was uh, was us kind of winging it and, and it kind of worked. So can you tell us a little bit more about the marketing aspect? Absolutely. So when it comes to Kickstarter marketing, which frankly, we, we learned a lot of it on the fly. We weren't very familiar with it. Um, 
we looked at it as very much like a tr traditional e-commerce type of marketing. And so I brought on right before we launched that first Kickstarter campaign, I brought on uh, Julian, who became my CMO, and we still work together to this day. Uh, he was actually my first hire at Ace Marks. Uh, and he comes from a pretty pretty elaborate e-commerce digital marketing uh, background. But Kickstarter tends to be a little bit different, and that's what we started learning the first few days. Again, remember this was 2016, so the landscape's changed a lot since then. But what we really ended up focusing on uh, was influencer marketing. And today, influencer marketing has has changed a little bit. It's there's, it's still a very a very big thing in the world of digital marketing. But back then, we we literally would be able to find men's influencers or, or people that would speak about men's style on, on YouTube or whatever channel that they were, that they were popular on, you know, you'd pay them a couple thousand bucks. Sometimes it was $500, sometimes $3,000 and you'd see incredible returns. Like a, a small campaign, a small YouTube video could generate 20, $30,000. And we really rode that for that first campaign. We ended up doing 574,000 that first campaign and that, that was the most that anyone had done in a footwear campaign. You know, actually, we, that's more than Alberts had done, which I think they launched a few years before us in on Kickstarter. So they went and surpassed us later on, but but back then that was a, that was a big number on Kickstarter. Yeah, that's something to be proud of. So with this shifting landscape, especially with influencer marketing, what does your strategy look like now? Today, um, one of the things that we've done to be successful and to frankly last as long as we have, uh, unfortunately, a lot of our competitors are, are struggling and are in distressed situations right now. We've never focused on any one channel. So we never put all our, all our eggs in the Facebook basket or Google ads or, or even influencer marketing. So for us, our primary focus has been organic growth uh, and frankly, SEO marketing. So creating content, content that ranks, uh, working with affiliates and working with uh, content creators online that Google tends to like and rank their content higher. Uh, we've built a lot of relationships through the years. We've grown uh, fairly slowly compared to a lot of our peers, uh, but it's been in a generally healthy way. So SEO has been our foundation. Uh, we've also gone through through bits and pieces where we do do we do run Google ads, we do run Facebook ads, uh, we work with affiliates, uh, we do do influencer marketing. Uh, obviously, we post on our social channels, so we do a little bit of everything without being overly reliant on any one channel because each channel changes all the time. And if you are a hundred percent in on one of them, something changes, the algorithm changes, you have nothing to fall back on. So we've always looked at, at digital marketing as almost omni-channel similar to omni-channel retail we want to be everywhere we want to we want to do everything in a in the right way love it yeah that's the way to do it these days and speaking of being everywhere you recently bought an apparel company where you're working with various brands and this apparel company is also targeting men can you briefly talk us through this acquisition why apparel the ship from shoes and how do you select which brands to onboard Absolutely. Yeah. We, we've actually made a few acquisitions uh, recently. We bought this apparel company, which, which is really a portfolio company that had 12 different brands under it. Uh, we've acquired a few footwear brands as well. Uh, for the most part, the opportunities have come because of what I mentioned earlier. There are a lot of distressed situations in direct-to-consumer today. The market's changed. A lot of people put a lot of money into certain channels, which are not what they used to be. Customer acquisitions costs have gone up. Money is not as cheap as it was even you know, 12, 18 months ago. So it's much more difficult to get funding, to get loans for a lot of these businesses that have never, uh, that have never made money. So 
Um, they've really been uh, opportun opportunistic uh, acquisitions. Um, what we we look at ourselves as having built a bit of a platform. We have a nice marketing team. Uh, we've acquired a fulfillment business as well. So we have the back office, we have the logistics piece of the business. Uh, and we're looking for other brands that we can just kind of plug into into our, our ecosystem. And we're, we've become good at at selling to men, at speaking to men. Uh, so picking up a men's apparel business, a few other uh, footwear brands that cater to men um, has made a lot of sense for us. And so that's really what we look at. Do we know, do we understand who the customer is? Can we be a value add in terms of our operation? Uh, a big part of these other businesses is their operating expense, right? Even if you're a one to $2 million business, you need customer service, you need graphic design, you need all these fundamental things, whether you're doing 500,000 in sales or $5 million in sales or $50 million in sales. And we already have that team. So we're able to come in and cut a lot of the OPEX, turn into healthier business. We understand channels outside of, of Facebook and Google ads, which is what everyone seems to be overly reliant on. And we understand how to build out uh, the sales funnels and sales channels beyond that. That's great. Can you shed some light on differences in approach and strategy between Ace and the apparel company? Yeah. Um, probably the biggest one is that Ace Marks really focuses on a higher end customer. Our average order value is today around $300. Uh, the apparel business is closer to $50 average order value. So from a marketing perspective, um, it's a different, it's a different approach. A customer before they spend $300 on the, on a brand that they may not have heard of, they do a lot of research. So on AceMarks, we try to position ourselves, uh, anywhere that the customer may go out and, and do a re do research on why would I buy a shoe made in Italy? Why am I spending $300 on a shoe? Why can't I just spend $50 on a shoe? So they, they do all that work. We want to make sure that we're, we're in all those different places and all those different channels are doing that research. Obviously reviews plays a big role as well. Uh, and eventually we convert that customer once we give them enough information as to why we're a good value. When it comes to the apparel business and selling a $50 product or $80 product, or even a 10 or $20 product, it's different. It's, it can be more of an impulse buy. So there, uh, the conversion rates and the customer acquisition costs on, on Facebook or Google may be a little bit lower and a little bit uh, more palatable today than, than it would be uh, for a higher priced item like, like footwear. Uh, generally, just on Ace Marks, Facebook has never been a big driver of business for us. Um, it's been a great way to, to introduce customers to the brand. But if you look at the numbers directly, it's never been a... a our customer acquisition costs are relatively high. Lower priced products, it's more of an impulse buy. It's almost like a like an item that if someone's checking out at, at, at the cash register at the supermarket, see a piece of gum, oh, it's you know, a buck, two bucks, whatever it is, I'll just add it to my basket. And so that's been the biggest difference. And, and our approach doesn't have to be so focused on educating the customer. It could be more on just maybe showing the features or that it's cool or you know, it's something that you may want to buy because you're feeling good today. Uh, it's not a big commitment, unlike footwear our footwear at least. Very interesting, different approaches. And it sounds like it would be a different approach to customer retention as well. So what does that look like? Yeah, so customer retention plays a huge role in what we do. Um, 
one thing that's very important for us and, and across all brands and everything that we manage is selling a quality product, right? So I think that customer retention, we can speak about email and SMS and all the different uh, retention channels and, and platforms that exist today. But more, the most important thing when it comes to retentions is to make sure that the customer has a great experience. Our customer service department uh, treats every customer in a way that as if they'd be walking into their local store, they, you know, they try to know your name as best as possible. We, we built in a lot of features on the back end where uh, we try to build a relationship with the customer. So our agents, if it's a repeat customer, like they identify them as a repeat customer. We identify people as, as a VIP customer or a loyal customer. So make them feel special. And and then also the, the product, right? The product that speaks for itself. So we ship them a bad product. We can do send them as many emails as we want. They're not going to come back or they have a bad experience. They're not going to come back. So to us, that's the foundation. So everything we make sure that our quality, our quality is, is top notch. They're getting the customers getting a lot of value, uh, for the money that they spend with us. And then of course, uh, again, loyalty programs. We work with Yapo. We work with joint, uh, not with joint.me, with judge.me, uh, depending on the brand and, and the size of the brand and what we're looking for in those those retention features, loyalty features. And then Gorgeous is a great platform for customer service because it does help you uh, keep track of who's who and give you a lot of, gives you a lot of information about the person that you're interacting with. And then email, Clavio and SMS in general, you know, getting the flows, the segments proper, properly set up, uh, making sure that we're, we're customizing the messaging as much as possible uh, to the individual customer that we're reaching out to with that message. So. It's a, it's a huge ecosystem, but I think fundamentally the customer has to have a good experience and they have to be selling a product that they want to buy again. Yeah, that sounds similar in both aspects. Um, speaking of quality, how was COVID for you guys? You know, sourcing an issue. Yeah, uh, <laughs> COVID was was interesting. While the rest of the ecom world was uh, was skyrocketing because everyone was bored at home uh, shopping online, we were selling men's dress shoes that no one had a reason to wear. <laughs> so we actually had uh, had some of our worst. Yeah, I I miss what you said. You guys survived and came out the other end. Yeah, we 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 definitely survived. Uh, we went, for sure went into survival mode. Frankly. We had built up a lot of goodwill with our customers leading up to up to that time, and that helped us a lot. A lot of our customers just bought stuff to help us survive. Uh, we did some pretty cool things. We had like happy hours every Friday, so we'd get a lot of our customers to get together. And that really goes back to the fact that we launched on Kickstarter. And a lot of those Kickstarter backers feel like they were essentially founders with us, right? And so they have a really strong connection uh, to, to me, to our brand. Uh, and so when, when, uh, COVID came along, we had a lot of people come together on these zoom meetings and we'd, you know, have a few drinks together, just, just talk about whatever, talk about our families. And funny enough, one of our first customers that backed our first Kickstarter campaign, and frankly, he backs everything that we do. I think he has like 50 pairs of our shoes was just in town two weeks ago and came to visit us in the office. And whenever he's, he's actually works for the, uh, He's, he's in the, in the army. He's been, uh, in the service for a long time. He's pretty high ranking guy. And whenever he's in Miami, he comes and stops, stops by visits. We spend a few hours together and have a good time. So that's the type of relationships that we built, uh, with our customers and, and COVID was a tough time for sure. But I think that's when, when the flip switched a little bit for me and I, and I realized that even though we may have not, may not have grown as quickly as some of our competitors, we actually were running a relatively healthy business. So we just pull back, sit back, make sure the unit economics work, 
don't go too crazy, just survive that time, there would be opportunities to to make acquisitions in the space. And so I spent most of the time building relationships, uh, getting to know my competitors, some of which I'd known already, um, and getting to know and get and just just getting our name out there, having conversations. And that's kind of where a lot of the deal flow that we're seeing today has come from, from those last two or three years of building those relationships in the in the industry. Yeah. Speaking of brand loyalty, your business model, you have this buyback program. It's quite unique mm -hmm. in the fashion industry. How did you come up with this idea and what impact has it had on brand loyalty? Yeah. So I frankly credit my brother with that idea. I think that he had come up with it one day, uh, when we were, we were prepping to, to launch Ace Marks. Um, there's this issue where we have, especially with footwear and apparel in general, that there's a, there's this idea that a lot of it ends up in landfills and is not good for the environment. And, and that's, that's true. I would say that maybe in, if you're dealing in leather goods and non-synthetic materials, it may be a little bit better because eventually biodegrades, you know, there's some arguments to be made about the tanning process of some leathers. Uh, but for the most part, the idea was to, keep customers coming back and give them a solution for products that may not want in their, in their closet anymore for it not to end up on a landfill. And then for us to be able to fulfill our mission statement, which was to make luxury shoes accessible to everyone and everyone for us by having that program means even people that can't afford to pay for our shoes. So we partnered up with career gear, uh, who helps a lot of men get back on their feet. If they've had some family issues, they want to get back into the community, get, get back into jobs. And what they commonly see is that these men don't have clothing or footwear to go to a job interview with to look decent. And a lot of times they don't get the job because they don't, don't, don't look presentable enough. So it seemed to be like a win-win for everyone. We give our customers uh, 50 or $60 back towards a new pair of shoes. They send us uh, their old pair of shoes that they're not going to be using anymore. It stays out of the landfill, and then we give it to someone that's going to use it to get a job and get back on their feet. So overall, it's it's like, a, you know, it, it puts the shoe back into circulation. It's a form of recycling that's, that's helpful for everyone. That's amazing. I love that you guys do that. That's such an important Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so frankly, I wish more people would take advantage of it, but that, I, I'd I say not, not enough people do. To see the buyback program in a few years. Absolutely. You know, there are times, yeah. actually, we should, we haven't done it in a few years, but there are times where we'll just take back any pair of shoes and give you 50 bucks for it just so that we can give more donations. But amazing. Such yeah. an important program. Good job. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Marks has investors, and while you and your uh, you and a partner bought the apparel company without any other investors, correct? So, do you have a preference? What are some common challenges and differences between the two approaches? Yeah, um, I don't necessarily have a preference. Uh, I've been very fortunate in that our investors have been very understanding. They they frankly invested towards the middle of 2019, right before the pandemic hit. So they've been very, very understanding. And frankly, we've become, we've become friends along the way. Uh, what I think looking back, uh, we went the route of trying to raise money from venture capital. And we had a few term sheets that we eventually walked away from because some of those terms seemed a little, a little onerous kind of if, if we didn't spend, you know, there are terms, 
you know, speaking of marketing, we had some terms and we saw terms in some of those term sheets that we had to spend 85% of the money that we raised on Facebook ads. Well, we knew that Facebook ads didn't convert that well for us. It was probably not the best way to spend their money and they wouldn't budge on, on things like that. Or we had to hire X amount of people and that our OPEX would be ridiculous. So I felt at the time that if we took a lot of those deals, we'd be in situations where if we weren't their top performing brand, they were just kind of going to either discard us or strong arm us into forcing, uh, forcing us to take another round of money from them at very unfavorable under very unfavorable terms. So we walked away from a lot of those deals, ended up with a great group of investors that have backed to supported us and been, you know, frankly by my side through, through a lot of ups and downs. Uh, so from that perspective, I've been very fortunate in the investors that I have. You know, I think obviously you have a lot more flexibility when you don't have any investors that maybe just have a partner like we do in the apparel business. But either way, at the end of the day, whether it's a partner, an investor, it comes down to choosing to have the right people around you. That's that's the most important. That's the most important thing out of out of anything. So there really isn't uh, a right or a wrong. It's, it's just the people, the right people could be right or wrong. The people could be right or wrong. I agree with you. And a lot of people rush into those venture capital agreements and relationships because they're excited, right? Without really reading fine print. So I commend you for doing so and for knowing what works for your brand and for your company. That's very important. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because now when we're out there looking for you know for M and A deals, uh, I've I've I come a lot of situations. Actually, I'm speaking to to one uh, later this week. Where they've they've raised a ton of money, you know, tens of millions of dollars, uh, and frankly, the founder is going to end up walking away with with nothing, no matter what they sell. They sell it because they have a liquidation preference that's based on on the expectations from you know 2017 and 2018, where people were giving money away, and everyone thought that yes, we're going to be the next hundred million dollar or the next Warby Parker, the next Allbirds, and you know, most people aren't. So. It's a lot of time invested, but not, not a high return for a lot of the founders out there that took those deals. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they think they're doing the right thing for, you know, their employees for a future company. And then they just don't look at it close enough and think, what if, so, but exactly. I commend you for doing so. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. It was, it was so tough at the time. Looking back, it was the right thing. I'm glad that you feel that way. I'm glad that you feel that way. Hindsight is not, yeah, it's 2020, but sometimes it's it's a little bit unfortunate. Yeah, absolutely. So as we as we wrap up, I'm very curious to know what's next for Paul Farrago and your enterprises. You said you're looking at a few M&A deals. You know what what what's next for you? Yeah, no, for, for us, uh, we're going to continue to take it slow and look at opportunities. Uh, we've kind of re re-envisioned what we're building, but uh, before it was just a, a, a footwear brand, I shouldn't say just a for rent. It was, it was a luxury footwear brand that was making luxury shoes accessible. Uh, but now, uh, we see it more as, as a platform where we can continue to add additional brands, um, and provide services for those brands. So. I don't want to fall into the trap of calling it an aggregator because it's definitely not the the aggregated model that we've seen over the last few years, especially coming out of COVID in the Amazon space, but more of a of a sanity check on on what direct to consumer was viewed as a few years ago, right? So bringing back brands to to the to the size of business that the market says that they are, not what 
maybe the founders, investors want them to be, um, and just giving a space for those brands to, to continue to live and to continue to hopefully grow in the future, but in a healthy, more organic way. And, you know, with us providing the, the back office services, the fulfillment capabilities, the marketing services, and whatever it is that we would need to, to keep those brands going. And, and hopefully in some situations, uh, give give founders and some of the investors an opportunity to uh to maybe turn their investment into something a little bit longer of a horizon that they expected to but but uh something nonetheless right so we see ourselves almost as a platform business today more than anything love it sounds like a good plan thank you yeah it's uh we're, we're working it and so far it's it's been well received so thankfully it looks like we're offering something that's needed in the marketplace which which is always a good feeling that's great and sounds like your your vision is very creative to all your enterprises yeah I, you know i i hear a lot that uh we're doing too much uh but at the end of the day we're trying to do too much at least but at the end of the day it really all kind of works together and and even though it seems like a lot of moving pieces and a lot of moving parts which sometimes it feels like it too uh it's all it's all part of a common strategy and it, it all it, it all kind of works together so it all makes sense to us maybe not uh, to the outside all the time but to us it makes sense and that's what matters that's what matters i think so <laughs> well Thank you so much for joining. Really appreciate you being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.